Most people waste their time doing mobility work. They get caught in this constant cycle and it goes something like this. They have pain or dysfunctional movement or they lack the range of motion or freedom. Um, So they use some sort of modality, what they think is mobility work, and that provides a short-term relief for them. Then they do their session and they skate by on these suboptimal positions, which are ultimately going to be leading to compensatory movement patterns. And then their session ends and they walk to the car and they drive home. And then they do it all the next day and it repeats. So basically, they're never actually improving their range of motion, so their positions never get better. And since their positions don't get any better, their movement quality is suffering. And since their movement quality is so bad, their joints hurt and they experience pain. And when they're in pain, their range of motion will actually get worse. So we just came full circle. They spent all the summer mobility work and they never got any better. Stop wasting your time. Like, let's design a mobility program that actually works. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. The Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And welcome back to my rant on designing a mobility program that actually works. So today's outline, um, I'm going to start off actually by defining mobility so we have some context for our conversation for today. And then I'm going to go through three mobility truths. So three things that are true about mobility that I think a lot of people do not necessarily abide by. Two, then we'll go into actually assessing your mobility to see where you're at and what tools we can use to assess that. And then as part of that, I'm going to go into muscle tightness versus muscle shortness. And then I'll explain mobility techniques that would pair with each one of those unique problems because they're definitely not the same thing. And then we'll also go through identifying your specific problem areas within your body. And then third and lastly, we'll go into designing a mobility program. So what mobility should look like inside and outside of a particular training session. So this could be in and out of a gym, in and out of a particular training session. What should it look like? So let's define mobility first. My definition of mobility is having range of motion and torque. So having the freedom, the range of motion to be able to get into a position and then having the torque and motor control and strength to be able to actually support that position and be able to have it be a functional range and have it actually be useful to you while you're doing functional activities, stuff like CrossFit workouts. So again, that's how I'm defining mobility, range of motion plus torque. So everything that I talk about in this episode, that's the lens I'm filtering everything through. So when I talk about mobility training, it really could be a lot like movement training because I'm ultimately I'm getting to that end process of having not just the range, but also to be able to control that range with good quality movement. That's the goal. So that being said, let's get into our three truths about mobility. The first one being mobility is anything that helps you move better. What that means is, therefore, mobility work needs to be an inclusive term. So in other words, this is not just stretching. Stretching is one type of mobility training. However, there's a multitude of things that we can include into mobility work. So again, anything that's going to help us move better is what I'm going to be considering mobility work. 
So technically doing a rebound session that's going to be using a variety of motor patterns and focusing on low eccentric modalities and aerobic environments and positional holes and other isometrics like carries and things like that, that's all going to help promote and expedite the healing process and that's going to help reduce joint irritation, that's going to clear inflammation, it's going to do all those things and that's actually improving your mobility. So in a way, something like a rebound session could actually be technically mobility work. Our second truth here is what works is what lasts. So in other words, if it doesn't actually last, it's not really working. So we have to remember what we really want is a long-term improvement. Yes, sometimes it's helpful to have a short-term relief, but really that's a lower order priority relative to improving over the long-term and creating an adaptation curve. So the most important question we can ask ourselves is what makes long-term lasting change in your mobility? That's the question we need to be asking here. So as we go through the different techniques that I'm going to be going through in this episode, I just want you to be filtering through your mind and asking yourself that question for each of those. Again, what makes long-term lasting change in your mobility? What is lasting? Not just works, what lasts? Then truth number three is a strong, enduring stimulus is what drives change. Um, Another way you could say that is a constant, not just enduring, but constant stimulus. So I don't necessarily mean that we have to be doing this constantly, but over the course of a period of time and throughout your life, you are continuing to push yourself in the direction that you need to go. And if I take this example to the stream, imagine I have someone who wants to improve their back squat by 100 pounds. We could have that person squat once a month to a max. Um, That would certainly be a strong stimulus. However, it would certainly not be an enduring stimulus in the sense that it's constantly coming back around and showing itself again and again. Whereas if I had that same person squat twice a week, now they're seeing that stimulus eight times as often. Their body has a lot more of a reason to actually adapt to that stimulus because you're seeing it more often. But we could also take the same idea and swing it the other way, where if someone has a constant stimulus, but it's not nearly intense enough where it's actually going to produce any sort of adaptation. So if we have a person who wants to run a three-hour marathon and they walk 10 miles every day, they're never going to be at the intensity threshold that they need to be able to drive the adaptations that they need to be able to get the effect that they want out of that. Like You're never going to be able to hold a three-hour marathon pace if you're constantly walking at a much lower intensity. So I'm taking these to the extreme But it's to illustrate the point that if you don't have both the strong and the enduring stimulus, it's got to show up often and it's got to be strong enough that your body has a reason to drive that adaptation. And that's one of the errors that I see with people who are doing mobility work is that it's not something that is actually challenging them. So we need two qualities to really drive the change in mobility work. We need tension and we need time. And that's what I mean by that strong, enduring stimulus is that we have to spend the time in the position. That's the first thing. If you don't actually spend the time, you're not going to get the adaptation that you want. But two, if you don't actually load that tissue you're not going to have any functional range with it. You're not going to be able to produce force in the range of motion that you want unless you load that range. So we have to have the tension and we also have to have the time. So really the key here is doing things that are going to challenge your mobility that don't cause joint strain. That way we continue to get in better positions over time. And as we have someone work for better movement, this improves their stability, it improves their joint centration, and that's going to both impact mobility. And that's something that I actually talk about in my article, 
why your mobility isn't improving. I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to get more on that. It deals a lot with core strength and the role of that in mobility. So go check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes at zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 018. So let's switch gears. We're going to talk about assessing your mobility. The first thing I want to address here is muscle tightness versus muscle shortness. So a lot of people don't distinguish between those two where they think, oh, if my muscle is tight, that automatically means that my muscle is short and that I need to stretch it to improve it. When in reality, a tight muscle is one that is carrying tension. So there's a low-grade contraction that's going on. So in other words, there's a CNS, a central nervous system input, and that is what's preventing you from actually creating more length. It's not necessarily the length of the muscle, it's that you are constantly contracting that muscle and it's tight. So this is exactly what happens when someone has DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness where you get really sore. So say you did Murph and two days later, your quads are just destroyed and you try to do a snatch workout and you can't even get into the positions because your quads are just so tight. That's not because they're too short. Like you didn't lose muscle length over the course of those two days. It's just that your brain is telling your body that you should not go into those ranges because you're going to create more muscle damage. So your body creates pain in a low grade contraction so that you don't go into those ranges so that you don't create more damage. So someone who's tight all the time, and it's not necessarily because they're super sore or something like that, but they just have poor tissue quality as a whole. Doing things that are relaxing protocols are going to help that a lot. So things like foam rolling, like smashing and scraping and self-massage and doing trigger points and cupping and passive stretching, like Ramwa, like all of those things can certainly help tone down the nervous system and help that person to relax and to be able to create an environment in that muscle and throughout their whole nervous system that's going to allow for more range. So if you're someone who's tight, you might respond very well to something like foam rolling, whereas someone has a short muscle where they actually lack the length, that might not help them very much. But for someone who has short muscles where they actually lack the length, and it's not just that they're actively tight, they have to do much more higher intensity protocols, stuff like pails and rails, which again, I'll link to that article in the show notes. I explain that in detail where they're doing active static stretches with it's a much stronger stimulus, where they're doing dynamic and ballistic stretching in the warmups, things like that, where it's really a stronger stimulus that's driving that adaptation because we need to create some real change, not just relax your nervous system where you can actually express your ranges better. So that's the first thing we need to do when we're assessing mobility is distinguish between am I tight or am I actually short in my muscle? That's the first thing that we need to address. And then part two is actually identifying certain problem muscle groups. So not just am I tight or am I short, but where do I lack the length? Where am I particularly tight sometimes? And I think the first thing that people get wrong a lot is they look at individual muscle groups like, oh, my quads are tight or, oh, my lats are tight rather than looking at it as a systems approach. So the first thing that you have to understand is that our body is basically like a big ball of rubber bands where everything's connected. We have all these fascial lines that run as a system all throughout our body. So I like comparing it to like a spider web where if you try to pull on one corner of the spider web and only manipulate one corner, say I try to stretch my quads, I try to pull on that one little corner of the cobweb, that spider web is going to pull every part of that spider web around. So we can't do one thing without impacting everything else because everything is interconnected. 
So if we understand that we have fascia that encases the muscle and wraps around it and it connects from one area of the body to another in these lines, it gives us a much better understanding of mobility as a systems issue. So mobility is a systemic problem. It's not one particular area. Like you might have poor soft tissue quality in one particular muscle belly, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should only try to address that one specific tissue. You need to address the system as to why that tissue is flaring up. So a little test for yourself, the fascial lines, explaining them and how they work and how they interact. Do a forward fold, just like a hamstring stretch and see how much range you have, like how close can you get your hands to the ground and then roll out your bottoms of your feet barefooted with a lacrosse ball just for like two minutes, just like a self massage and then retest your forward fold, that hamstring stretch. You should see a big improvement in how far you can actually go. And it's just because you're cueing that fascia to relax. And if you can create slack in that system downstream, upstream is going to have more slack. So you have to understand that this is a systems issue when we're talking about mobility. One of the ways I like thinking about identifying problem muscle groups is thinking whether it's like an anterior or posterior issue or an upstream or downstream issue. So let's just take anterior versus posterior. So front of your body versus back of your body. So for some people, they have a lot of issues in the front of the body where their quads and hip flexors and abs might be really tight. So they have a hard time with deep knee flexion getting into the bottom of a squat. Or maybe they're tight on the posterior where their calves, their hamstrings, their their glutes, their low back is all kind of balled up and tight. And that's preventing them from being able to have a good hip hinge pattern. They have a hard time with snatches or deadlifts or cleans getting into a good position with the right pelvic orientation. So as you start thinking about your specific limitations, one of the things that you need to be thinking about is what other things are going to be impacted. So I use that example of a spider web. If you're pulling on one thing, if you're having some sort of compensation pattern, what does that mean for the system? So where are you making up that ground? If you're still snatching and your thoracic spine is all balled up and really tight and doesn't have good range, where are you making up that ground? Something has to make up that ground. So is it your wrist? Is it your shoulder? Is it your lumbar spine? What is making up that ground? So where people get into issues with mobility work is that the joints that are supposed to be mobile are tight and the joints that are supposed to be tight are mobile. So for example, your hips are supposed to be a mobile joint. Your lumbar spine is supposed to be a stable joint. Your thoracic spine is supposed to be a mobile joint. So if your thoracic spine is tight, which is super common for people, and your hips are tight, which is super common for people, then you have to make up the ground anytime you're doing movement with your lumbar spine, which is supposed to be a stable joint. And what happens is we took something that was supposed to be a stable joint and we made it a mobile joint. And guess what? Now we have all kinds of pain in our lower back. And it's not because our lower back is the issue. It's because the joints that were supposed to be mobile were not mobile. So we have to do our due diligence and figuring out what joints are issues and what fascial lines are problems, and then identifying particular stretches or protocols that are going to work for your specific problem areas. So let's take this and switch gears where we actually are starting to talk about program design. So I'm going to think about this mainly two different ways, either thinking about it as something that's outside of exercise or a post-exercise program. So it's mainly static stretches with longer holds. So I'll say anything above a minute, as let's just call that longer. And then the other category is warming up for a particular training session, which this is going to be much more so active stretches with short durations. 
And the main reason for that is because static stretching is going to be reducing your power output. So the reason we're not doing static stretches, think about like a, just a longer stretch where it's maybe 30, 40, 50 seconds up to five or 10 minutes potentially. The reason we're not doing that is because static stretching has been shown through research to reduce your power output. So we don't want to blunt our power output for our actual session. So we're making sure that we're keeping those stretches short. So we're improving the range of the short term so we can have a better quality session and better movement in our session, but we're not necessarily trying to drive change during that time. So examples of active stretches that we could be doing, as I said before, pails and rails. Again, I'll link to that in the show notes. We could do things like positional holds, which are going to demand a lot of our mobile joints. So like if we think about just like an air squat hold, that's going to demand a certain position for your hips, for your knees, for your ankles, for the arches of your feet, for all those different joints, there's a demand there. And by putting yourself in that position that you're going to need for that session in particular, so say you're actually squatting and you're doing a squat hold and making sure that you're staying active in a good positions, that's a great mobility activation piece. We can do things like dynamic stretching where we're going through the range of motion that we need and claiming that range of motion ahead of time so that when we go to hit those positions in our workout, they're there for us. And then ideally, we're combining these different modalities with rate of force development drills or plyometrics to minimize that power from dropping. So inevitably, if you are holding a position, unless you're being super active and trying to create a lot of tension in a position, which I do recommend sometimes, but if you're not doing that, you probably are going to have a small dip in your power output, um, just a small blunt. So if you are doing things like static stretching before your workouts because you just can't get in the positions otherwise, then I definitely would put those with a rate of force development drill, something like a plyometric, even if it's a depth jump or a broad jump or a short sprint or pogo hops or anything like that, where it's going to be a high neural drive activity. It's going to excite your nervous system and it's going to get you to a place where you're ready to lift heavy and produce force quickly. So I'm going to give you an example. So some of my target areas, number one is the hip flexor. So like iliopsoas complex and the quads. And that's just because I'm not using this as an excuse, but I've had four knee surgeries and I have relatively long femurs. So to get into good positions, that's just something that I have to do as a maintenance thing. Shoulder flexion isn't super great. So my pecs and biceps are relatively tight. I've done a lot of pressing and pulling and just a lot of hypertrophy bodybuilding style protocols in those tissues in particular, like I'm a high school kid. I'm trying to get jacked. So I did a lot of that, but I've also had a, a labral tear in my left shoulder. So those are things that I've constantly working on. And then my front rack in general isn't super great. So I'll just chalk that up to T-spine, lats, uh, long head of the triceps. Those are the biggest areas. So there's both a compression and extensibility issues. So what I mean by that is compression Actually, it could be an issue with like the bicep isn't compressing enough. It isn't pliable enough where I can get into a decent position and still have blood flow. And extensibility is what I mean by like, for example, the compression would be like the bicep. The extensibility would be like the tricep where it just doesn't have the length that it needs. So the things that I do outside of exercise, first of all, I go through the desk athlete mobility checklist. This is another article that I wrote and it's a video series. So I will link to that in the show notes as well. And again, that's worthfitness.com slash podcast slash 018. And then typically I'll hit this for about two minutes per element or as time dictates, right? So if I just don't have as much time one night, I'll cut that short. And even if it's 30 seconds per element, I'm still getting some maintenance for these different qualities. So as part of this checklist, you'll see I'll be going through my hip flexors because I spent a lot of time sitting, shoulder flexion because I spent a lot of time with my hands out in front of me on a keyboard a lot, um, just with programming and writing and doing all these different things on a computer. It's just kind of the nature of the job. Also, my 
hands are pronated a lot. So that's an issue. I'm getting more into supination. And then the front rack position where I just spend a lot of time on screens. And it's an evil part of my job where I have to spend a lot of time in that forward neck position, rounded back to a degree. And I can do things to prevent that and minimize that and work on my ergonomics. But to a certain degree, that's just an inevitable part of the job. And I have to minimize that and try to take breaks and do stuff to counter that to the best of my ability. And then I'll just do a lot of flow work. So I try to do about five minutes per morning where I just get up and start moving. And this is something that's very difficult to explain. And I'll just go through different stretches, a little bit of active mobility pieces. And I just link all those things together. And I kind of have it be an informed freestyle where I'm moving around, I'm hitting different positions and I'm doing different things where I have to get in positions. And once I find something that's tight, I spend a little bit of time on it and then I move on right away. I just set a five minute timer when I do that. And that just helps me stay on track and stay focused because it's only five minutes that I can get to it and get done really quickly. So beyond the desk athlete mobility checklist and my flow work, now I'm still talking about outside exercise, I do certain things to target specific weaknesses. And when I do this, I go through a three-step process. And this is something that I definitely want people to take away from this. Step number one of this process is I'll do something to massage or smash that particular body part. And I'm doing this for the point of relaxing and trying to lower my CNS input So my goal is not to be rolling or smashing a particular body part, my face to be grimaced because I'm in pain. The goal is for you to massage it and help yourself relax into that. So you're breathing in a way that's relaxing, you're massaging in a way that's relaxing. So the goal is for you to relax. So say for me, I'm working on my overhead position. This could be a 30 second foam rolling of my lats per side. And then step number two is getting as deep as I can into a static stretch without having joint pain or muscular tension. So I'm trying to get as much range of motion here as possible that I would consider to be quality where your body's not having a signal where you're trying to get out of that. So my example of this would be a one minute kettlebell anchored T-spine opener. So I put like a foam roller right across my T-spine. I'm anchoring my hands over my head with a kettlebell. My arms are locked out and then I'm sinking my hips down. So I'm opening up my shoulders I'm opening up my T-spine, so I'm hitting my lats. I'm hitting the long head of my triceps. I'm hitting potentially some pec. I'm hitting the T-spine. And then I'm going to lastly, number three here, go and load that new range. So I got to give my body a reason to have that new range. Let's just call it stick around. We have to have enough of a stimulus to drive that adaptation. So here it would just be like maybe something as simple as a 15-second wall-facing handstand hold where I'm really focusing on driving my shoulders open and thinking about pressing and squeezing my abs and creating an open shoulder extended T-spine position. So the three-step process, this could go for any number of body parts as you massage it or smash it in a way that is relaxing to you. And then you go into a static stretch and really try to get more range of motion. And with that range of motion, then you go and load that new range. So give it that body a reason for it to stick around. So if we took that same structure and applied it to the quads, we could foam roll the quads for 30 seconds per side into a one minute couch stretch per side. We're really focusing on driving the hips back into the wall and getting that knee back into the corner. We're really getting in deep into the quad, creating a lot of range, but again, not in a way that is painful or creating more muscular tension. We're trying to relax in that position. And then lastly, we're going to take something like a kettlebell and do a goblet squat hold. We're creating tension at that end range and, and giving our body a reason for that new range to stick around. 
So that's what I would do if you think you have a particular body part that is a problem child or issue for you. That's the three-step process that I would go through. Massage, static stretch, and then do something to claim that new range through a loading tension-based exercise. And then lastly, let's talk about mobility work within a training session. So actually in your training session, what should that look like? And the first thing here is the better that your mobility actually is, the less you should be doing in your training session. So if you have great mobility, you need to do much less stretching or mobility work or movement prep to be able to get into a good position. You can warm up less, which allows you to get to heavier weights quicker while you're fresher and you're ultimately going to be able to lift more load by doing that. But for people who have suboptimal positions, which is pretty much everyone, um, you're definitely going to need to be doing at least something to improve your positions earlier on in your session or at the end of your session. So I've outlined here seven different steps that you could be going through. You don't have to go through all of them, but things that you could go through to incorporate mobility work into a session. So the first thing is just a thermogenic warm-up. So in other words, you're raising your body temperature. So technically, a thermogenic warm-up is like saying a warm-up warm-up because it's the exact same thing. It's warming up, literally taking the temperature of your body and warming it up. So the easiest way to do this is just doing some very easy aerobic work. So for my athletes, this is zone zero where it's very easy. Their heart rate's below 60% of their max. And this is something where it's usually erg-based, nasal breathing, very easy, probably about five minutes. And this way your joints are getting lubricated, like synovial fluids starting to move around. And also the muscle is getting to the ideal temp for contraction, which is around 101 degrees Fahrenheit in the muscle. So two is going into movement prep. So this is, we could call it dynamic mobility work, where something like alternating lizards, um, up dog to down dog, calisthenics, like, like a walking quad stretch or walking knee hugs or the Zor squat sequences. All those things would be great examples of dynamic mobility work. And then three is any active stretches that you need, which shouldn't be every session. So for example, if you're doing a power jerk, doing something like an elevated cat pose with a max effort shoulder flexion, where you're really pulling your shoulders open, activating the whole back half of your shoulder and all the musculature around your scapulas. And then for the front rack of that push jerk, we could be doing something like a banded front rack stretch. Or we could do front squats with straps so your full hand has to be on the bar or even just a front squat with a hook grip would work really well. And then once we've gotten through those active stretches, and that should be not every session, but it should be tailored to that session, then we could go into some sort of plyometric or rate of force development work or sprint activity. So this will help us regain our rate of force development. That's just our overall nervous system tone, getting back into the nervous system state that's going to allow us to express heavy loads. Then I would have someone go into any sort of strength or skill work. And then next would be any sort of conditioning or accessory work. So that's kind of the priority of the session that could change based on someone's unique priorities and demands and where they're at. Like for example, if you're doing competition prep, sometimes you have to lift heavy under fatigue, but as a general rule of thumb strength before accessory conditioning is probably a good rule of thumb to have. And then lastly is your cool down where you're actually going to be flushing. So clearing any waste products and then doing static stretching to actually drive the change in the range of motion improvements. So as I was preparing for this podcast and getting my notes together and thinking about it and processing how I want to lay out this information was to couple this podcast with a program. So I created a program and released yesterday. So it is live right now. It is called overhead squat mobility. So obviously this is tailored to the overhead squat, improving your positions, your comfort and your mobility for the overhead squat. But the positions that are demanded for the overhead squat transfer really well to the sport of fitness and the movements that accomplish it as a whole. 
So chances are if someone can hit a really good overhead squat position that they also can hit really great positions in terms of the gymnastics or for clean and jerking or for handstand work. And that's why I picked the overhead squat. So this is a six-week program, three sessions per week. Each of the sessions are less than 30 minutes. So there's not a huge time requirement. Like You really don't have an excuse as to why you couldn't add this in. And I built this program in a way that it takes advantage of a lot of the techniques that I described in this podcast, where we're doing things to relax the muscle and massage it. And then we're doing things to lengthen that muscle and actually create new range. And then we're doing things to load that range so that it actually sticks around and you can keep it. So I take that and I go through each of the seven key ranges of motion that you need for the overhead squat and lay it out in a way that's really going to drive change. So the most important thing to me is the fact that people are actually going to improve and drive their positions. But the other thing that I really wanted from this program was for it to be affordable to every single person who listens to this podcast. So not only is it cheaper than most of the programs that are right and that are on the site, but it's also on sale right now. And I'll also make a promo code for everyone who listens to this podcast. So go to zorfitness.com slash store. And then if you enter the promo code mobility, you'll get an extra 20% off. And I always try to give people who are consistently engaging with the content I put out through Zor just a little bonus. So head over to ZorFitness.com to check it out. Hey, it's Ben again. And I wanted to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this for the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coach's notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you could be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course.